Welcome to the Sports Deli, Season 1, Episode 2, Part 1, dedicated to the Black Lives Matter movements. We have a couple of amazing guests in this Part 1 of our series, including Bobby Kelsey and Barb Smith. And it's been an awakening for all of us. And why now, after the death of George Floyd, has this created such an uprising, which has been long overdue. And we'll delve into that question with our guests, along with a number of other questions here in the Sports Deli. We're so privileged to have Bobby Kelsey with us here today. Bobby's an African-American woman and former head basketball coach at the University of Wisconsin. She was an assistant women's basketball coach at uh, her alma mater. Stanford University and played and coached with uh, uh, one of her mentors, uh, the Hall of Famer, Tara Vanderveer. Um, and she's also uh, the founder of Get Your Butt in the Gym. And she was an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Sparks. And she's uh, currently the commissioner of athletics for the Milwaukee Recreation Department. And so, um, Bobby, I'll, I'll ask you what Anita asked. Uh, or mentioned in, in uh, her final remarks, uh, what can we do? Um, yeah, yeah, that's, it's not a tough question for me, but I think everybody has to really um, do some soul searching. It, it starts with the individual person and um, figure out where you stand on these things. And um, it's interesting because I, I have been in white spaces a lot as a coach, being the only black person. It doesn't bother me at all uh, because I have relationships with folks or meeting new people and it just happened to be uh, not a lot of people in my area that look like me, but it's, it's glaring, but you're used to it as a black person. You are used to it. Um, I always ask my white friends when they go in spaces, I'm like, when, when is the last time you were the only white person in a space? You know, It doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. So I think that has contributed to people either being ignorant, not willfully ignorant, just ignorant to um, what it even means to know a black person, to know, you know, how they live, our hair, our, what we eat, you know, all the things that make us black. Um, as a white person, you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you were raised by a black person, you wouldn't know that. So. I think this has been the tipping point as we look at how you treat people, how you, how you value another person's life. And uh, clearly when you have video showing these things happening, I always ask, well, who's seeing something different? What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? I'm trying to get understanding about what, even if we didn't see the beginning of the tape or what have you, we, we saw the end result. And that's, that should never be the result. Somebody dying at the hands of the police. From my understanding, they're supposed to protect, serve, de-escalate, those kind of things. Police officers have a tough job. I, I know police officers. They're in my family circles. I, they have a tough job. However, uh, we've gotten so far away from what protect and serve means that people re respond to the police just negatively. It could be a good cop coming up and trying to do something the right way and people just are on edge. So I, I feel just being a former coach and now in the Milwaukee Public School District where a lot of my ch kids are, are black 
and, and Latino kids. Um, I'm, I'm over 21 schools. I'm like the commissioner, conference commissioner. And then you have ADs and then you have the athletic, athletic uh, kids. So um, having worked at the collegiate level, professional level, not the high school level, um, these kids are angry. They're upset. Um, they're sick of it and they want something done. We can kneel and we can, you know, do the, the cha-cha slide of the protest and all that kind of stuff. I'm interested to see what is going to happen after everybody go home and then we get back into our circles. That's really my hope that that, where that change will take place in your circles. Um, I've shared with a lot of my white friends that I consider family, acquaintances, what have you, and I always speak my truth, not disrespectfully, but I'm honest. You got to be honest. And, and white folks, it's going to be harder for y'all because black people have been saying this forever, you know. We, we've been saying this for centuries. I, I, I watch a lot of PBS and that's the old stuff on PBS. That's why a lot of people don't watch it because it's, it's old stuff. It, it's very <laughs> historical. I've seen more police brutality videos of grainy white and black footage from when my grandmother was alive, you know. It's like, come on now. Like, really? That, that's what makes me upset. Folks act like this has just occurred. This not this been happening for centuries. How long? Why why do people have to die to get the attention? It's it's ridiculous. And so when I say white folks got more work to do than anybody else, is because um, you got to lead the charge. I'm saying you got to do it by yourself because we've been we've been kind of saying this stuff. But this is one time when I agree with you, Michael, and I'm gonna just be perfectly honest. It's on y'all. It's y'all have to start the conversations at your houses. Yep. With your kids, with your friends, you, and it's gonna cost your family members. Yep. It's gonna cost you inheritances, trust funds. That's what it's gonna cost because if Grandma Mabel is racist and that's your grandma and you love her to death, you got to let her either. You got to say, Grandma, that ain't right. I can't roll with you on that. Uncle Billy, you know how he is. You already know. You know Auntie over here is a little bit suspect in her lens of how she looks at folks. We not at y'all's houses. We don't live with y'all. We got our own work to do. Trust me. <laughs> we got plenty. So when folks say, well, what about black on black? That's not your business. Guess what? You got a lot of stuff to work on at your house, with your family, with your friends. And if we start there, especially with little children, We've seen video after video of children hugging, loving. I, my, so, my, my best friend, I had friends, my best friend, I, to this day, some of my first best friends were white kids. Because I had my cousins and my, and my I, I, they were my best friends in my family. But at school, on the bus, at the lunch table, the sleepovers, me and my, one of my best friends, white, white uh, woman. We think back when we were seventh and eighth grade, I just met her, her, her mom would have sleep. We'd come, be at the house. We didn't think nothing of it. We had no clue. We had no clue. Because they weren't like that. And so you got to start at home. You got to start close. We can't save the world. We just got to save our little nephews and nieces, our, our daughters and sons. And it's going to help us to get over the fact that, you know, if you, if you feel a certain way about it, if you're upset or, you know, I heard another, uh, a little girl was on TikTok and she had the camera on her 
but her parents were in the background. I'm, I'm sure they didn't know she was taping. And they were speaking about the black, like all this protest and the parents, I, we're just sick of it. Not a, and they weren't, I mean, I understand it to a point, but guess what we sick of? Guess what black people sick of? You know, it's like, you're uncomfortable for, for 10 days. Right. We're uncomfortable for 100, 400 years. And I don't, I, ha I didn't have to live back then to experience it. I asked my mother the other day, mom was, uh, when you were a kid, my mother was born in 1951. When you were a kid, downtown Savannah, from Savannah, Statesboro, my sister's from, her family's from Statesboro. So I, I'm very familiar. I'm from Georgia. I, the <laughs> South, I, I, I know the South. <laughs> and uh, there were white only uh, water fountains and things of like that. My mother is 68 years old. My grandmother who died in 17 was 92. I used to ask her these questions. To her, to her under, understanding it, she didn't like white people. Does she have a good reason why not? She was born in 1924. She probably got a good reason not to trust yeah. white folks. Because she's seen way more. She told me she was in Kmart when Martin Luther King got killed. They said over the loudspeaker, people just start falling out. This is somebody I could talk to three years ago. So we don't have to have been slaves or slave owners to understand all until all lives matter, really, until black lives matter, all, it, it's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. I don't see why people, why is that so offensive? If we have to say it, that means we haven't been doing it. We don't want to say black lives matter. We really don't want to say that. There's a reason why we got to say that. Because it has not mattered. Clearly, video after video, how when when does that matter? Because that's not helpful. So uh, because I want here's what I wanted to ask you. If it, and and let me try to make um, a sloppy analogy. Um, you inherit a new basketball program, and and it, it's you want to turn the program around, and you've got some old attitudes in in, in your in your personnel, and, and you're going to do everything you can to get those old attitudes to come along with the new mission. But ultimately, some of those attitudes aren't going to change or they're going to be tougher to change. And you hope that next year when you graduate those kids, now you've got your group of kids that have come up through your system. So, so here's how I wanna translate that example. There are gonna be people like Mike, who, who when you say um, it's, a, it's a white problem, which I agree with, and it's going to be uncomfortable, which I agree with, that's not going to bother him. He's, he's a guy, as I hope I am and I hope John is and, and many others, who are willing to take that responsibility and parse it out and do something with it and grow and make change. But, but there is another layer of people, unfortunately, who aren't going to be as willing to come along. And my, my, my concern and my fear is, how do we get to the people who aren't willing to be moved? And I don't have an answer to that. And maybe well, nobody does. Well, my answer is you, you're not going to get everybody. That's not the All point. Right. The point is like-minded folks, there's more like-minded people than some old biddies over here, right? That I, that's my hope, that there's more folks that just maybe was afraid to say something. It's strength in numbers, mm -hmm. right? So I think the more white folks start saying, then the more come along. That feels that way, just couldn't lead the charge. Because let me be clear now, let me be clear. There's been plenty of white folks that help black people all along the way. You see it in the video. I see it on PBS. It's, it's white clergy walking with Martin Luther King. It's, it was a bunch of white folks. It just wasn't enough. 
in high places to do something. So mm -hmm. we got to vote in our midterms. I didn't realize how important midterms were. We get all hyped up on the president. President can only do so much, okay? But we find out this one, he's he doing a lot more, but still. Uh, I'm, I'm saying you, you got to elect your midterm, your, your local and your state and your, and your uh, federal people. You, you got to get them, uh, you, especially the, the, your local and the state, because that's your representatives, that's your state people, that's your senators. Um, so I think now people are really realizing, I am too, that that's probably the more important vote than really the presidential vote. Because we saw that Hillary got all the votes and she still didn't win. So that doesn't mean you don't vote. That just means you got to know where the vote really matters. Um, but as far as losing out on some of them folks, some folks ain't gonna never come come around, Gordon. I'm not worried about them. I, I'm planting seeds with folks that may be on the line, on the fence, or really on our side. It's more of them that you're gonna, because you're always gonna have some racists out here. And we see that some of them are coming out the closet, being exposed, all these kind of things. So I, I, I'm not, I, that's a waste of, of good energy and time to me. Because yeah. they, they just stuck in their way. They're gonna be there. We, we, we can't do nothing with them. Some people are lost. That's just, boom. Because they watch that video and they can't see that that man is, was that knee on his back and neck. And we didn't see the mother three. He couldn't move. That man was 6'6". Six, six. George Floyd was 6'6". Six, six. Well, he yeah. wasn't no tiny little man. Okay? If he, all he had to do was shift his body to get some air. So that tells you they were on him. Not just Chauvin. Okay. They were on him. So that, that tells me right there, we just watched a murder. Because nobody's going to sit there and die. And then you well, got a mayor in Mississippi saying, well, if you can talk, you can breathe. Well, the first thing people say when they're choking is, I can't breathe. They, that's what they say. Right. So yeah, don't it, miss it, me with all of that, please. That's just ridiculous. That, that was right older, after. Then you see the other, older gentleman, 75-year-old white man. Right. They say he's T-tripped. He can trip. It's on film. <laughs> they pushed him. Like, come yeah. on, like, let's tell the truth. So getting back to your question, Gordon, about a new team, because I did take over Wisconsin. It was a new team. I was new. I just made it clear we're not going to discriminate against anybody, whether it be sexual orientation, religion, uh, skin color. We're not doing that. And when I see it or, or I sniff it or a hint of it, I stomp it out. That's it. But I think when people know where you, where you stand from the beginning, they will then adjust their actions to, to fit. Otherwise, they know you're going to confront it. I think we stay quiet and we kind of tip around it. I, I'm not a tip around person. I, I'm just going to ask what it is and then let you explain what you're doing. Bobby, I had a question for you. One, one yeah. sec, John, one sec. I just want to ask you, Bobby, how, is there a, um, a too-soon point with young people to have the conversation? Um, I think every, every child is different. Um, I think when they're growing up and they're with classmates and they want to have uh, Jamar over, it, it, that, that's when parents got to decide now what we're doing, you know. Uh, it starts with the sleepovers. It starts with little, because kids don't know unless they've been taught that. But when you, what you're taught, you can, un, you can, what you learn, you can unlearn. So I saw a beautiful video of a man asking his child, you got the pictures on the screen, and he asked his child, what, what's the difference in all the pictures? And he was saying grass, and they're smiling. He never one time said, well, one's black and one's white. And this little boy was probably at least 10 years old. So parents got to start teaching their children um, or challenging the, the things they may have grown up to learn. Because a lot of these old pictures now, those people are still alive. Those yeah. racist pictures, people, that, that was somebody's grandma that raised them, and then they raising somebody else that's raising somebody else. 
John, did you have a question before I, I brought Stacy in? The students that are coming through. You went to one of the greatest universities in the world as a student. You coached at one at one of the top public universities, research universities in the in the United States. Both of them are predominantly white institutions. Both of them have major athletic programs, which have heavily African American students that are a higher proportion of the overall student body. So my question is, what do you think? And this goes for anybody. Recruiting is going to be like now for the coaches at those conference. Do you think now, if they haven't already, the students and the parents will start investigating more? What is the culture on campus, not just in the program? Yeah, we're winning games. Yeah, we're hanging banners. But what is my son or daughter's experience going to be full, full board in the resident hall, you know, in, in classrooms? What's the overall culture? And top, tied into that, you know, when you're a D1 coach on any, you are more probably known than the president of the school. You know, you know, you know, any, you know, you go to a restaurant, you go in town, you know, tell me who can name the president at Duke University. Everybody knows Coach K and the same for Gino at at UConn. You get the point. And at what point, if there's a cultural problem on campus, does the coach have to speak out understanding that the coach is almost a brand within him or herself within, you know, the basketball world and at the university and can have actually maybe more impact? than some very high up administrators in the short term at least. Yeah, um, we had some issues at Wisconsin. Uh, uh, Some folks were doing some things and and calling people some different names and things like that, athletes and getting, you know, just some bad stuff. Um, I think each coach has to empower their, if you're working with women, empower them to use their voice, speak up, um, call it out that you you're going to support them if they're right and they're doing the right that you you're going to come to their aid every single time I used to tell my kids if you need me I'm going to drop what I'm doing and I'm going to help you I'm going to assist you I'm going to hear your voice even though I disagree I'm going to let you use your voice if you're coaching young men the, all the massaging all that stuff it, it goes into it and I think coaches that have been doing it not going to have a problem because your reputation just go before you. You should have been doing it, okay? It shouldn't have happened just because now we in this time. So we know, we'll know who's been doing it and who's just kind of, oh, wow, let me, let me account for this. I think parents are going to have to be a, ask a little more question, you know, um, on that level. But again, um, things are going to happen everywhere. Uh, a campus is not, you can't wall it up and People come into campus, whether it be a commuter campus, on cam- you know, people live on campus. But that's not a bad thing because it helps folks to deal with things they're going to uh, experience in the workplace, uh, in their social circles, at, you know, sporting events, big events. You know, you're going to run in all kinds of different people. So I think uh, coaches that have been doing it continue to do it. Those who haven't, they better take a long look because now folks are going to be real, a little bit more mindful of where they're dropping their kids off. Because I always told parents, you got to drop them off. You got to go home. So now where you dropping your child, you better know. And you better ask the questions and, and observed and paid attention. Because it starts little. Problems don't start like Mount Everest. You got to nip things at the bud. You got you to gotta get, you got to pull out root. It's easy when it's just a little weed in the, in the garden. But when it's a big oak tree out there, it's a little harder. And that's what we are now. Racism is a big old, the biggest tree in the world. That's what racism is. It's deep. It's in Mm -hmm. there. And we got to get it out. And it's going to take time, work, effort. It's going to take a lot. Gordon? 
Uh, no, I, you know, I was just, my, my, my single thought really as that was kind of um, going by was that I, I'd much rather um, early identify the people who are not going to be adopters than have them stay as the undercurrent in society, wonder who they are, not be able to find out who they are, and potentially, you know, waste time and energy on those people because we already talked about, uh, you know, the, 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 late adopters or the tough movers or whatever you want to call people who aren't going to come along for the ride. And I just assume they show their colors. I just assume, no, you know, if you're, if you're not on board, I just assume you tell me now and I can move on and, and put my time in a, in a place, in a direction where, you know, I can be with like-minded people and I'm going to tell my kids the same thing. One thing, who, one thing that everybody's been talking about is one thing I thought about over the last few weeks is, what if there was no COVID and what, did this, what if this had happened in March on a, and what would have happened on the college campuses? Because if you go back to the 60s and before that, the colleges and universities were epicenters for movements and starting points. Well, I mean, and it's I, a perfect storm, John. I mean, right, I think, but I think a lot of universities are not, would not have been prepared at all. I think, I think they've been put, you know, they would have been looking the other way. And I think as the fall comes, going once again back to Nina was saying about the class students coming in, this is not going to stop over the summer and they're not going to go back to school and put this in the closet or or i'm at school now so these feelings don't come through well, and, and it should and, and we have to be prepared for, and I, i'm you know we and we have to understand that and institutions have to be you know be understanding that these students are going to speak out and organize and i think and, and only because of the scenario of it being may and the pandemic kids haven't been on college campuses and we haven't seen it any other time i think we would have been major um uh, situations protests. on campus, protests on campus. Uh, and not to be the old guy on the call, but you know, the civil rights- You are the old guy on the call, Gordon. Yeah, I can't, uh, yeah, nothing I can do about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the traction, and then you listen, as a coach, I, I tell our kids all the time, that last play's over. There's no dwelling in basketball. And, and I'm not trying to dwell on, on the civil rights movement, but uh, that was a traction point. And we really should have been more strongly compelled to have a conversation like this in 1965. I mean, as things started to shift, that was a time where there was, you know, where there was traction and and we really, um, we blew it. Uh, Someone I know um, told me that um, the Obama administration scared the daylights out of white people and the Trump administration brought them back out again. And I thought that was an interesting point. And um, sort of uh, using that as a lead in, I wanna bring in uh, our final guest, uh, Barb Smith, who is white and a former head and assistant women's intercollegiate basketball coach at the division one level. And uh, Stacy and I met Barb uh, a few years ago, and I had some direct dealings with her when she was recruiting one of my point guards. And I remember one poignant conversation. I don't even know if Barb knows this, but Stacy was sitting in on the conversation. And um, just the way that she spoke uh, about her program and the level of integrity and um, just what she wanted, even if she didn't get the top kids and the way that she wanted to create her culture. I just knew, just like with Anita and Bobby, when she came, and there was only eight kids at one of her get-your-butt-in-the-gym clinics in San Diego, and she decided to 
pulled it anyway instead of canceling it. And I, you know, Barb's an author, uh, a leader. Uh, she's had stints at Iona College, Colorado. She's the senior stateswoman of this group. Colorado, San Diego State head coach, Berkeley, Minnesota, uh, St. Louis University, Illinois State is the head coach. She's the founder of Courtside Leadership, an organization that consults with and inspires peak performance on teams. She's an author of uh, Talent Profile of a Winning Team. Um, and so, uh, and now she's also uh, started her, uh, her own company called Find My Team. And um, Barb, let me bring you in. I appreciate uh, you uh, digesting everything and hearing what everyone had to say. And um, you know, you've been around a long time, three decades, along with Gordon and I, um, coaching and listening and learning and seeing things evolve. And I'm curious as to, you know, what your thoughts are in terms of maybe when you first started in this business and where things are now. And um, if you were coaching again, you know, what would you say to your team? And, you know, how, how would you handle things uh, at, at a program where, uh, John mentioned that you, you're bigger than the president oftentimes. Well, first of all, I just want to say this is this has been just a great show. I hope you get a lot of listeners here because I think, you know, the number one thing that we have to do are, is, is have these conversations over and over and over and with new people and more people. And we have to keep talking about this and we have to keep educating ourselves and others. And I mean, even, I mean, I'm a white person and I'm, I consider myself educated. I've been around diversity. I mean, sports really, to me, opens so many doors to be this change agent and be this educator around diversity. And so I consider myself very diverse, but even for me, because there is this thing called unconscious bias and there there is this thing called white privilege and not too many people talk about it. And, and, uh, and, you know, not too many people, even the people that we were just talking about, uh, you guys, there's people way over on this side. There's people way over on this side. There's a lot of people in the middle that agree. And some of them still don't really know, don't really understand. And I think it's up to us, me as a white person, and, and you know, to, just to keep educating and keep reaching out to people. And if I had a team, you know, I'd be hugging them every day as soon as I could. <laughs> I'd have to virtually hug them for a while. But, I mean, this is a hard time for kids right now. I, I you know, it's just really hard with COVID and now this. And, you know, you know our Black community is hurting. I know this. I, I I, my heart goes out to the black community and, and we haven't done enough. We haven't listened enough. We haven't uh, voted correctly enough. We haven't hired or fired correctly enough. We haven't done enough of the good things. So it looks like we don't care enough. And that's why there's anger out there. And that's why there's, you know, confusion and you know, we, we have to do such, we have to do so much more. And it starts with everybody. You know, I, I take it, Mike, as you were saying, it's a, it is a white problem right now. We, we have to do more and we've got to educate more. Um, and Bobby, you said, uh, you know, when's the last time you were around 
you know, a population where you were the only white person. And, you know, when I went to Uganda with a former player of mine, we started a, a girls basketball camp in Gulu, Uganda. And I went with a former player who had relatives over there and I was the only white person over there. And when you said that, I hadn't even thought about that until you said it. it was like, oh yeah, I do remember what that was like. And at the time I thought every single white person should do this. And, you know, and it's not like I was hated. I know there's some of that here. So that's a whole different thing. But at least to have that experience where you were the only one and where my former player thought she couldn't leave me out of her sight <laughs> because I was the only white person. And that was a great educational experience for me. And being on a sports team from, you know, from college days into coaching, into all different kinds of, you know, a city environment, a, a, a smaller college town environment, and all, all the different races and, and diversity situations out there, it it's, it's been very educational. And I think we, we have so much more to do. And I think, Bobby, you touched on it, maybe Mike, you too, or, or maybe you, Gordon, I can't remember, but uh, it, it starts with the very, our very inner circle, our very, you know, if it's kids, if it's, uh, you know, who, who are we exposing our kids to? Is it just our family and our little group? Or are we trying to educate and get them out there so that, you know, by the time they even can speak the language, we don't have to talk about it because there is no issue. And I know that's, that's, we've got some work to do and that's a ways to go. And, and I hope we're alive when that happens, where we don't have to say Black Lives Matter anymore. We don't have to say all lives matter anymore because if either were true, we wouldn't have to say either. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it would just be, it would just right. be what it is, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's we, we just have to do more. We can't sit on the sidelines. Um, and we got to, and you know, our heart, like you said, Anita, our, our heart has to be in this. We, we've got to really try to help and, and not be on the side. And, you know, one thing that coaching did for me was allow me to be in there. Now I'm working remotely. So, uh, you know, I've got to go take a walk to find somebody right now. <laughs> anybody. <laughs> and now there's COVID, so I can't, there's nobody around. But, you know, we, we have to, we have to engage. We, we've got to engage. We've got to start the conversations. And, Mike, this could almost be a series because it's going to have to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I hear Anita and Bobby, and I, I listened uh, two days ago when Lisa Leslie put out her piece, I think it was two days ago. Excellent, if you haven't seen it. Um, just, you know, just stories of what, how this is impacting people. I think that's, that's what we have to do, and we have to keep doing it. And, and it's not like this is going to pass anytime soon, so it's going to have to be uh, continued conversations. It's making people see things differently and and be okay with talking about it with like-minded people that are on the right side of things and so for you to say that and it and you know it is a white issue but for the white people that care to talk about and open up with maybe other white people that don't understand there is a group of people in the middle that don't really know which way to go with it and so I think the conversations will help them see it from the right side. 
Well, I do have a lot of uh, friends who, people that are in the middle, who have said things like, uh, you know, I'm not racist. They, they would say, I'm not racist, but I think, you know, such and such, whatever. And I, and I look at them and go, well, that's a racist comment. Even though you don't realize it, it's a racist comment, but they don't know. So mm -hmm. some of this, and they're great people. So it's, it's, it's not that a racist is a bad person. Sometimes it's just this thing, you know, this, this white privilege that you don't know what you don't know. And what you don't know is hurting people. And we have to we have to get that across to people. We've got to be able to educate and 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 hopefully start, you know, young. So it's not you know I think as people age, think they get set in their ways, like we've kind of talked about, and and we've also talked about this. There's a whole group of people don't even bother because they're not changing. There, there's we're just we'll turn ourselves gray. I'm already almost there. We'll turn ourselves gray for trying to reach those people. You've got to go back. We got to go get the younger kids and get the people that are on the fence and, and one person at a time in our communities and our little worlds, we can, we can, we can do a better job. And even the black community, we can, you know, find ways to mix, find ways to, to get our kids to play together and, and have the sleepovers and do those things and, and open up as parents even to, to break down barriers and, and just try, we've just got to do a better job, um, trying to do that and i think well i'm when you started with that comment i thought oh because i'm mad you know and it's like <laughs> you know here's anita saying she is hopeful i mean that is inspirational right there because i'm telling you there there isn't it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of hope right now but you're saying that and we have to believe that and we have to we obviously have to progress to that but you know it's it's a this is obviously you guys know it's just a long time coming and we just we just not we've just not done a good job well we've you know there's some denial that really that really has to be waded through you know like um i tell our i tell our coaching staff that all of our parents come into our first meeting we maybe it's a hundred hundred kids and their parents come into the first meeting and every parent in the room thinks their kid is steph curry or lebron i mean that but but and so we spend the whole season trying to move downward from that definition to where their child actually can compete instead of them coming in and thinking my child stinks what can you do with him then we spend the whole season moving up to where that child's potential is and you know to say if, you know if we could all just say you know what yeah, me, a little bit me, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of racist. What can I do about it? How can I start to move in a direction of improvement and potential instead of spending all that time saying, no, no, it's somebody else that needs to slither out of their skin and change and be different, and I'm willing to help them. I'll help them as much as I can. No, no, it, it, you know, it really needs to be a, a home front kind of movement and uh, the denial piece hopefully will be parsed more quickly than, than ever before. I think one of, the, one of the neatest things that we all have in this, on this whole show that we all have in common is this, this thing called sports. And sports has been a blessing. It's been a blessing for me and it's been just been a blessing to have because you're put in an environment where people of every, 
all different races, all different backgrounds. I mean, single family, double, double parent, I mean, you know, poor, rich, and they're all put in this team and they've got to accomplish them. They've got to figure out how to work together. And I just wish that, and this is, this is somebody's next book or something, but where our, our, if our political world could just see how that works and try to do the same, mirror that somehow, you know, fix the problems and our educational system. And if people could just look at what sports has done, it's not perfect, I know, but it's the closest thing I can see where people with differences come together and they have to accomplish something together and it works and every nobody kills it one another nobody you know you know you learn to appreciate like anita you're just talking about you know talking these conversations that's what sports does it brings people together and it ha you you have these conversations i remember riding on bus rides and at dinner tables with teams and there we we'd play this game it was the question of the you know, the question of the day, and it would be something that would be thought provoking. And you'd see the, the, you know, the players and the coaches engaging and learning from each other. And it was powerful. Sometimes they were deep questions and it was just powerful. And that is the, that is the neatest thing about sports. I don't, I don't know if there's another thing out there that does that, but it is, sports is a blessing. We just don't have enough politicians who want to go to state <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> that's right exactly well i i enjoyed hearing what everybody had to say it's it's uh, been an amazing experience for me i wish it was under different circumstances but uh, i was looking forward to it uh so much and i had a wide range of emotions leading up to it and i appreciate you all you have a lot of things that you could be doing and you spent some time with us and I hope this gets out to as many people that want to hear it and uh, it, it can help some people to uh, feel more hopeful and um, you know it's a good first step I think for for us to find our own little corner and, and sh disseminate the information with everybody but uh, if anyone has any final thoughts I'd love to hear what you have to say and I just want to thank you Mike for for the opportunity and it's been really fun uh, listening and, and, and very, just, you know, there's so many emotions that it just really feels good to get together and talk about it and, you know, appreciate and, and Bobby uh, and what you guys are going through and, and uh, you know, having to talk about it and go through it at the same time and really appreciate you guys. Well, hopefully we'll do it again, uh, you know, and, and keep the conversation going. Bobby, John, anything? Gordon? Thank you all so, so much. Yeah, Thank I appreciate you. it as well. Good conversation. It really was, Bobby. And we look forward to having you join us for season one, episode two, part two of the Black Lives Matter movement featuring Delana Sampton from UCSD, an assistant women's basketball coach, and Tamir Goodman, the Jewish Jordan, who will be joining us from Israel. Thanks again to my co-hosts, John and Gordon, and for our amazing guests, Bobby Kelsey and Barb Smith. This has been The Sports Deli, and I'm your host, Mike Hootner. <laughs>